We started this book of Galatians. Actually, it's not a book, it's a letter. Uh, we started this letter of Galatians last week, and it was written by the Apostle Paul, and we talked a little bit about the church to whom he was writing. It was planted uh, during his first missionary journey. He planted this church, he preached the gospel, uh, he invested in their lives, and left uh, to continue his work of planting churches, preaching the gospel. And somehow, uh, Paul had heard that a group of Jewish religious leaders, and at this point we're just going to use the word Judaizers because they were trying to uh, introduce and turn people into Judaism, so they were Judaizers, uh, had come behind him and were teaching that the inclusion into the family of God required faith in Jesus and good works. And when Paul learned that some of his converts had, had believed this, he took out a parchment and quill, I'm sure, not a pen and paper, and uh, he began writing a letter to this group of people who he deeply loved and deeply cared for. And, and as we saw in the opening verses last week, in his foundation, he said, my, my foundation is who I am as an apostle. I am a called one by Jesus, and I am telling you not what other men have told me. I'm telling you what Jesus Christ himself has told me, and, and I want to remind you of who Jesus is. And in those opening verses, uh, he's remind, he reminds them of the glory of the gospel and how Jesus Christ, if you read those first five verses, it says Jesus Christ gave himself to deliver us, but he uses the term to deliver us from this present evil Age, And we spent much of our time last week talking about this present evil age. And if you weren't here, it's just Paul does say in 1 Thessalonians, I think it's 1.10, he says, who delivered us from the wrath to come. So Jesus did give himself to deliver us from God's future judgment and wrath against sin. But Jesus also gave himself to deliver us from this present evil age, meaning from the God of this world, We've been freed from having to follow the God of this world who the Bible said in Corinthians has blinded the minds of unbelievers from seeing the glory of God. And it's the reason why once we're saved, once we become believers, we're not taken out of this world, but rather we are left in this world than to help uncover the blinders on unbelievers of just how good Jesus is. And uh, I had three different conversations this past week with people who shared a, a little bit uh, with me about um, just that, that reminder that we're not just saved from hell. We are, but that's not it. That's not the whole purpose of salvation. We're not just saved from hell. We're saved for the kingdom of God. And we get to live a life that is putting, the dis putting on display the glory of Jesus, and we get to have mouths that declare the glory of Jesus. And so, Monday, I was standing in the hallway of church, and Jenny, would you make your way up here, Jenny? Jenny McQuillan uh, was dropping off the kids uh, for school, and she's like, hey, Pastor Brian, what a great service yesterday. I just got to tell you, and she shared this story with me, and I'm like, that's so cool. I would love for you to share that with church. So go ahead and share, would you, Jenny? Teach me not to do it anymore. Yeah, right. <laughs> so don't tell me stories if you don't want to tell, yeah. So uh, Saturday, a week ago, I don't know if many of you guys know or not, but the Royce had a beautiful wedding. Um, and about four years ago, we met this beautiful girl who stayed at our house who married Jay Roy's son. Um, we became very, very close with her and basically adopted her into our family. 
um, to where Landon was actually a father figure in her wedding last Saturday. So long story short, uh, we had to be at the wedding early because Landon was going to be a father figure and he got to do a first look. So anybody that knows us, we have an 11-year-old, a 9-year-old, and a 1-year-old. It was going to be a really long day, three hours travel, six-hour wedding, plus we were there two hours early long day. So Landon wasn't really happy, but I dropped $180 on a hotel room because <laughs> um, I was like, okay, we're going to be tired. We're going to have tired kids. They're going to be hangry. Hangry. So and that's just me. <laughs> no. But um, so he was like, why did you get a hotel room? It's only an hour and a half. And I'm like, it's going to be a long day and we've got the baby and it, just, it makes sense, right? So um, he wasn't really happy and there was no cancel. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> so um, after the wedding, we stayed the whole time to see Bree and Daniel off. Uh, we make our way, only to find out it's 20 minutes longer away, not 20 minutes closer to home. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> so um, we get there, and I'm out in the car waiting, and I'm, I'm tired. It's like 10 o'clock, and the kids are like, can we just go? And, and, and by the way, in the, the wedding, about the time it got to the vows, it started dumping rain. So we were all waterlogged, too. So we were all kind of like, we're ready for showers, we're ready for bed. Um, we get there, and Landon walks in, and about five minutes later, he walks out, and he's like, come here. And I'm like, rolling the window down. I'm like, what? What? And he's like, come here. And I'm like, the window's down. Just talk to me. What do you want? And he's like, come here. So I, I get out of the vehicle, come out, and he goes, there's a woman in here, and there's two other people who their flight has been redirected, and they have nowhere to stay. And we noticed when we were, when, well, we, I booked the hotel room, that um, there was hardly any rooms available. And there was a lot of no cancels. Well, anyway, there were literally no rooms available in the area. And this woman had been sitting in the hotel lobby for about three and a half hours, and along with these other people that came in about two hours later. And just there, there are no rooms. And the guy behind the hotel desk was freaking out because they're short-staffed and these people have nowhere to go and they're just sitting in the lobby and nobody has any idea what to do. So Lance's like, can we give them our hotel room? And I'm like, it's 10 o'clock. Like, I'm tired. Like, I want to shower. I want to go to bed. No, babe, come on. Are you crazy? <laughs> and he's kind of looking at me and I'm like, go ahead. Whatever, you know. Gosh, seriously? So then all the kids are like, what? We can't go to our hotel room? Like, that's a treat for them. You know, we don't, we don't go, we stay away places. And so I'm like, no, apparently not. You know, <laughs> dad's got to show Jesus, you know. So, we, so we're sitting there, and then Landon comes back out. And um, I kind of look at him, and I'm like, that was really cool, babe. Thank you. He's like, no, what was really cool, he said, the person behind the lobby started crying, the dolly desk, because... He's literally been trying to figure out what to do with these people for three hours. These people did not know each other. It was a single woman and a couple, and they actually are sharing the room. The lady looked at him and said, you don't know me, but like, if you guys want the second bed, you guys are welcome to stay, and we'll, we'll, we'll get on our plane tomorrow morning. And we were able to share with them the love of Jesus, that the sacrifice that he's given to us, and the love, and, and be able to share that with them. And I thought it was so cool that we were able to come home that night, and then come to church the next morning, which we weren't planning to be able to be here that morning. And then we had that service. And I just thought it was so cool how that worked together. Amen. And, and came into play. Amen. Thank you, Jenny.
You see, Jesus came to deliver us from the thinking of this present evil age, which says, it's all about me. He frees us from that. And he frees us into living for his kingdom. And so may I encourage you to regularly have your eyes and ears open to how we can show a world around us who has their eyes blinded from seeing the glory of Jesus, where we can show them how much Jesus has made a difference in our lives, that it has changed the way we think, which changes the way we live. And so, so Paul gets through these introductory remarks in Galatians, and it's the first five verses again, and then he, he immediately starts to talk to them about what's taking place in their church. Now, here's, before we read this, we have to remember what we said last week. This is not written to us. I know we think the Bible, this is God's love story to us, and I, and I fully understand that, and I fully I agree with that, 100%, not trying to conflict that at all. But what we're about to read was a, a, a specific letter written to a specific group of believers in a specific location at a specific time about a specific issue. And so we're going to read how the Apostle Paul addresses a group of believers about the fact that, hey, there is no other gospel than what I have already shared with you. So look at verse number six if you would, of Galatians chapter one, verse number six. The Bible says this, Paul says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. So if, if you're familiar with any of Paul's letters, you know normally after his introduction, he's, he always says, I'm so thankful for you. I'm praying for you. I praise the Lord. He skipped all of that. And he jumps right into saying, I am astonished. I cannot believe you have so quickly deserted the good news of the gospel I have shared for you, with you. Oh, wait, 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 for another gospel. There is no other gospel. Then he goes on in verse number eight. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. This is tough language by Paul. Basically, he's saying anyone who tries to sell you on the fact that there is another way to God should be accursed. And in the Greek, that word accursed is anathema, which is an eternal curse, an eternal damnation. He's not saying that these false teachers need to be corrected. He's saying the people telling you that need to be condemned. But we have to go back for just a moment and remember what's being taught. What are these Judaizers actually teaching? They're not trying to take them from worshiping Jehovah and Yahweh. They're not trying to take them from that to Baal. They're not bringing stone or wood idols saying, this is your God. No, no. They're saying faith in Jesus is important, but not enough. You also must keep these specific Jewish holy days and dietary laws and religious customs. And, and Paul says, when you listen to that teaching, you are turning to another gospel. 
wait, 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 let me correct myself. There is no other gospel. The only good news there is is that you come to God through Jesus by faith alone. You do not come to God through Jesus and your works. That is fake news. That is a false gospel. And so while this letter wasn't written to us, it was written for us. And so, so how do we apply Paul's words to this body of believers in Galatia 2,000 years ago? How do we apply it to our lives today as we follow Jesus? And I just have three simple points. And I don't want to say I'm embarrassed of how simple these points are because we need to return to this truth every once in a while to be reminded as a corporate body, this is the gospel. And we need to be reminded of it daily in our own lives three very simple points that if you've been in church for a long time you're going to say i know these why are you taking a sunday morning corporate gathering to preach this because it's exactly what we need to be reminded of time and time again the true gospel says the only way to god is through faith in the person and the works of jesus a false gospel says The way to God is through faith in Jesus and my own good works. Now, there are many religions in this world that are going to take some sort of combination of faith, often in Jesus, sometimes in other deities, but faith and works and present it as the way to God. And what Paul is coming to say to this group of people who is our, who are, who listen to his sharing of the truth of the gospel and is now being told something differently, he's saying there's only one gospel. There's only one way. And he makes a big deal about these believers turning from the gospel. He uses words, depending on what translation you have, he uses the words deserting, abandoning, turning, the word turning is actually, a, it actually means a transfer of allegiance. It would be like a soldier fighting on one side, transferring his allegiance to begin fighting for the other side in the middle of a war. That's what Paul said, you're turning to another gospel means. It would be like a Republican becoming a Democrat or a Democrat becoming a Republican. Of course, there are good times when someone transfers allegiance. Like, I don't know how how many of you, um, Washington Redskins slash football team slash commanders, whatever your name is, uh, team, if you ever want to to cheer for a team that wins more than you, the Cowboys, you know, like, we don't win at all. We don't win at all. But uh, it'd be like showing up at a a team, right, Johnny, like the Eagles. Like, you're going to give up on the Eagles at some point, right? Uh, It'd be like showing up for a, a game wearing the opposite team's jersey you know I I grew up in Chicago and I'm a White Sox fan and everybody around us is basically Cubs fans and uh, I'm I'm a diehard Sox fan though and there was one time our church took an activity to uh, to Cubs Stadium and uh, to Wrigley Field and uh, I had the chance to go actually out on the field and uh, not not throw a first pitch or anything but take pictures with a couple of the Cubs staff but I'm a Sox fan So guess what I wore? (laughs) I stepped out onto the field of Wrigley. The beautiful, the, the, the friendly confines of Wrigley Field, I stepped out onto with my Sox jersey. And I was taking pictures with everybody else in the circle was Cubs uniforms and Cubs uh, paraphernalia. And I had my White Sox jersey. 
And when the pastor saw me show up, who he was a White Sox fan too, but he wore a Cubs jersey on that day. And he looked at me as, you're going to embarrass me, aren't you? I said, I'm not going to embarrass you, but I'm not changing my loyalty. I'm a Sox fan, right? What Paul was trying to say is, hey, listen, when, when you change what I have preached to you about the truth of the gospel, you're transferring your allegiance to something that is not true. And, and here's why Paul made such a big deal about it, because turning from the gospel is actually turning from God. Because the entire aim of the gospel is God. If you look, it says in verse number six, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him. So quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. You see, this goes back to our understanding of Jesus's rescue and we have to have a full and complete picture of Jesus's rescue because if we convince ourselves and please listen carefully because I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm saying. But if we convince ourselves that the purpose of the good news of the gospel is to save us from hell and to heaven, then we're not too concerned about whether or not we get to God as long as we get to heaven. But going to heaven misses a large portion of the point of the gospel. We don't want to go to heaven just so we get out of hell. We want to go to heaven because that's where God is. And wherever God is, is heaven. And wherever God is not, is hell. And see, the gospel, which, which tells us that the eternal creator, he entered creation as a small baby. He enters his own creation in order to redeem his rebellious creation by living a perfect life, by dying an atoning death, being buried into the tomb, three days later being resurrected, and 40 days later ascending back to his throne in heaven. Hey, can I tell you something? Jesus didn't do that so you could walk golden streets. That's not the purpose of Jesus coming to redeem. Jesus came to redeem so that sinful man would have a way to a holy, perfect God. That's the point of the gospel. Because he didn't say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to heaven except through me. But sometimes, and, and, and I'll, I'm not saying this about you, I'm saying this about me. Sometimes we make heaven the point of the gospel. I mean, I, I cannot tell you how many hundreds of tracks I passed out. And, and here was the question on the front of the little gospel track. Are you 100% sure you're going to heaven? And I'm not trying to criticize that, but that was the selling point, heaven. No, 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 the selling point of the gospel is God. It's our Father, the one who seeks to redeem us to himself through the person of his son, Jesus. And the good news of the gospel is not that you go to heaven when you die. The good news of the gospel is that you, through Jesus, have a way to the Father. 
And Paul wants to make it very clear that our rescue to God does not come through our good works. It comes through only faith in the person of Jesus. He is the Messiah sent by God to redeem the world and his works. He lived a perfect life. He died an atoning death and he rose to prove he truly is God. If we believe in the person and in the works of Jesus, we can find salvation. And Paul wants to make it very clear that salvation comes through faith alone. And we're going to read a few verses where Paul says that. In Galatians, we'll get to this in a few weeks, but he says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified. Oops, I'm sorry. And back this up. Where am I? That a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law because by works of the law, no one will be justified. He says it later in Galatians. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh you were saved by belief do you think you're going to be perfected by your works he says some very familiar verses in ephesians 2 for by grace you have been saved through faith and this is not your own doing it is the gift of god not a result of works so that no one may boast and finally this is a little bit longer but i want to read you what paul writes to titus Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. Well, those are really good things to do, but why? For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, and hating one another. But, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We could continue to read through Romans and many of Paul's letters where he wants to make it very clear the way to God alone is through faith in the person and in the work of Jesus. I, I tell you, I share often and I always ask this question with people. If God were to meet you outside the gates of heaven and ask you, why should I let you into my kingdom? And if our answer has anything to do with what we've done, we've missed it. I have believed, I have believed in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And we must come back to this daily, that we offer nothing to our own salvation, that we have been saved by the mercy and grace of God alone. And this was the good news that Paul delivered. It's not up to you. It's all a work of God. The true gospel says the only way to God is through faith in Jesus. But secondly, the true gospel says 
my right standing with God is through faith in the person and work of Jesus. What the false gospel says is my right standing with God is through the way I follow and obey Jesus. Let's go back to what the Judaizers were trying to teach the Galatians. They weren't leading them to worship other gods. They weren't bringing in idols and statues. They were simply saying faith in Jesus alone is not enough. And Paul said, no, 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 don't believe it. It's fake news. Send them to hell for saying that to you. That is not true. Your only way to God and your only way of a right standing with God is through your faith in his son, Jesus. J.D. Greer says in his book, The Gospel, and we as a church used to say this regularly, but there is nothing I can do that will make me love, that will make God love me more. And there is nothing I can do that will make God love me less. If we truly understood the truth of the gospel, that not only is my only way to God through through faith in Christ, but my right standing today with God is not through anything I do because I can't do anything to cause him to love me more and I can't do anything to cause him to reject me. No, no, my right standing with God is through faith in his son alone because God does not love me for what I do. He loves me for who I am, his child. But I think Paul's reaction to this is it should awaken us to the great danger that faces followers of Jesus. My guess is most people in this room, you know the true gospel. And there's some, yet there are some who know the true gospel who will find themselves falling into the thinking that sometimes my actions earn the favor of God. I came to church today. He must love me more because I came. I gave him the offering and Man, I, I try to live a good life, and man, I sang out today. I, he really looked down at how I, how I live today, and I, I'm sure that God is more pleased with me. And that's fake news, too. That is not the true gospel. But that is what many believers continue to to believe and even live in. It's so prevalent that it has a name. That name is called legalism. And you don't have to understand what legalism is to be a legalist. In fact, there are so many churches in our world today where, where people have gathered and there are many people sitting in the rooms who think, God will bless me this week because I was here. But that's not the gospel because there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. Nothing you can do to make God love you less. When we believe that we can earn God's favor, we are slapping the face of God's grace because grace is not earned. And I'm not pointing a finger at any of you. I'm speaking. If I had a mirror, I could spend the next 10 minutes just talking directly to me because not only did I live that way, but I continue to battle that type of thinking because there was a time in my heart, and I, I don't want to admit it, but I have to be honest with you. There was a time in my heart where I believed that the, the way that I dressed up for church in a nice suit and tie, that really pleased God. 
And it didn't just please God that I did, but he looked down on everybody else who didn't. I still remember the conversation that completely changed my thinking about this. I was talking to, to another pastor about how people dress in, in the church and, 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 and I, I used the line that, that many people will, well, hey, you know, if you're gonna meet the president of the United States, you would dress up in a suit and tie, wouldn't you? Well, sure I would. Well, then why wouldn't you do anything less for the God of the universe? And I said that to him. I said, hey, man, if you're gonna dress up to see the president, you, you definitely get dressed up to see God, right? And his answer to me, I've never forgotten this. His answer was, not if the president was my father. And I had nothing to say to that because it was like an arrow that shot to my heart that that made me realize when I get all dressed up for church, I'm either thinking in my heart that I have to impress some distant authority figure and I've got to get his acceptance or or I am dressing up so that people around me, I'll be able to get their acceptance. But man, if I'm just going to see my dad, with my brothers and sisters? What in the world do I need to get all dressed up for? Oh, do I think corporate worship is so valuable? Yes, I mean, I was praying this week and I was up in Mount Zion, which, which that was, sorry. Uh, man, I, five years and I'm still mixed up. Uh, I was up in Mount Zion this, this week and I'm walking around and I'm, and I'm thinking like, Lord, the, the gathering, I'm so excited about it. And, 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 and I know people have said this to me and I, I, don't, I don't know if you'll understand this or not, but, but I'm thinking, you know, man, I can't wait to get up and preach. Can't get wait to preach the word of God. And in some, some way as a pastor, there's this thought in my mind, like the most important thing we're gonna do today is open up the word of God and preach it. And, and he said, this is what the Lord said to my heart. Oh, the most important thing we're gonna do is have you deliver the word? No, 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 no. The most important thing is, is that my children gather with, with their brothers and sisters with one another and, and they get to stand and, and they're going to lift praises and worship to my glory. And then, then they're gonna have a time to pray with one another, to remind their hearts of who their father really is. Oh, and then they're going to they're going to sit down in small groups and they're going to they're going to talk about my word and how much how much their that my word has changed their hearts and through that they're living. No no no, Brian. You talking for 35 minutes is not the most important thing that's going to happen in that church. And I here's what I was so convicted on about that. If the most important thing that takes place in a Sunday morning gathering is the preaching of God's word, that means the most important 35 minutes of your time in here is you sitting in silence. And that isn't true. You, this is why I think the church needs to be moving and talking and and praying with one another and speaking into each other's lives. You need to be actively using the gifts that God has blessed you with in order to change this body so that we change this community so that the unbelievers whose eyes are blinded by the God of this world will see the glory of Jesus because a group of people have said there's nothing more important for us to do than to gather with one another, use our gifts in service to, in encouragement of, and in mutual edification as we teach one another, learn from one another, invest in one another. 
Oh, and the bonus, we're going to get to open up God's word. And that guy who studied for a long time this week is going to tell us a little bit more about a few verses. But I just can't wait to gather with my family. And I, I walked away from that time with the Lord this week just so convicted. I know, and I want to apologize to you, church. I know I have made the preaching the focal point. It's not. It's the gathering. It's you with one another. You're the most important thing that takes place. You are. As we gather in the, for the glory of the Father. So I don't want to dress up to impress you. I just put some clothes on because that's way better to come to church. <laughs> and I'm not trying to impress a distant authority figure. I'm going to see my dad and I'm going to visit my dad with my brothers and sisters. And it's going to be an awesome time. And legalism it's all about the heart. Legalism isn't about the clothes you wear. It's about the condition of your heart. Believing somehow what I do earns the favor of God. No. Jesus has earned all of the favor that God has. And he's given it all to us when we have faith in the person and work of Jesus. So then what is the role of good works? If good works don't provide a way to God and don't produce a right standing with God, what is the role of good works in the lives of believers? Do they even matter? Yes! Oh, yes, they matter, as long as they're on the right side of salvation. It is not faith in Jesus plus good works equals salvation. No, 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 wrong side of salvation. It is faith in Jesus alone equals salvation. And when I realize that it, all I have to do to, to have eternal life with the creator God of the world and his holy perfection and have all of my sins forgiven and have the righteousness of Jesus Christ given to me, when all I have to do for that is to believe Oh, man, it stirs my heart to see the love that God has for me. And so my heart is stirred in love for him. And then I say, now that I have salvation through faith alone, how can I share that with others? And that's what good works is. It is realizing how you were brought to the Lord. And then saying, now that I know, I'm going to go out and want, not, not, not to earn God's favor. I'm going to go because I have God's favor because good works are not a means to salvation not a means to salvation they're the fruit of salvation we can't mess that up tim keller makes this statement i'm sorry for going quickly but i'm going to try to hurry hurry through this tim keller says the moment you revise the gospel you reverse it the moment you say it's faith plus anything no 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 you've completely changed it no it is faith in jesus alone and I know that there are other religions who would teach you something that you need faith in Jesus plus, 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 and it could be something minor, but that is not the true gospel. As soon as we change it, as soon as we revise it, we have reversed it. Finally and last, the true gospel. It says, my continued growth in God 
is through faith in the person and work of Jesus. Do you see how important faith in the person and work of Jesus is? It's the way to God. It's how to have a right standing with God. And it is how I continue to grow in God. But a false gospel will teach us that my continued growth in God is through my effort and determination. May I ask you, have you ever made yourself grow taller? Shorter? Have you ever changed the natural, ladies, natural color of your hair? I mean, sometimes, some, obviously, you can't really tell on mine. I have no idea what the natural color of my hair is anymore. But our, our hair does change from, from one color to, to gray and white as the years add up. But we don't make those changes to ourselves. We've never caused our fingernails to grow. We've never been able to stop, although some people can slow it down a bit, the effects of aging. We can't make ourselves grow. We can lift weights and build muscles, but then if we don't do anything, they go away. We can go on a diet and lose weight, but then we go back to eating the same way. We come back to the same condition. Listen, if someone were to tell you, and I think it's a good thing, but someone were to tell you, hey, you need to grow in grace, what do you do? I need to grow in grace? Hey, you need to love people like Jesus loved people. You need to grow in that area. Yeah, yeah, you need to live more like Jesus. You need to grow in that. How do I do that? Well, I'll tell you, it's not through your own effort and determination. It's not through waking up one morning and saying, I'm going to live more like Jesus. I'm going to love people more like Jesus and I'm going to grow in grace today. No, no, no. We don't become more like Jesus through our own efforts. As 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18 says, that we are transferred more from one degree of glory into another degree of glory as we behold the glory of Christ. No, see, 2 Corinthians 8, 3.18 tells us this, the more I look at Jesus, the more I will look like Jesus. The more I behold the glory of Jesus, the more I become like the glory of Jesus. If you want to grow in grace, there's one thing we do. We look at the grace that Jesus has offered to us. We look at the grace God has offered to us through Christ. We look at the grace that we have received day after day and moment after moment. We say, look at how God has given us all these things we don't deserve. What a God. And as his grace infiltrates our heart, we then become more graceful to other people. Do you need more mercy? Do you need to be a more merciful person? It will never happen if you wake up and say, today I'm gonna be more merciful. No, no, no. Today we open up God's word and we look at the mercy that was granted to us that he is not gonna hold us accountable for our sins, but he willingly took our sin and our guilt and transferred it to his son on this cross. What mercy! And as we recognize his mercy in our life, we realize, well, he didn't hold me accountable for this. How can I hold them accountable for that? 
let me extend mercy. Oh. See, it's, it's faith in the person and the work of Jesus that continues to allow us to grow in Christ. I'm just about done. I want to share one last thing with you. I think I've told you this a number of times, but Pastor Mike, we had a meeting this week and he, he, I asked how he was doing and he um, mentioned to me a comment uh, that he shared with me on the very first week I was your pastor five and a half years ago sitting in my office and I had a, a, a long list of things on my office uh, on my desk that I was thinking okay I got this stuff to do and and new pastor and new area and everything's different and pastor Mike walks into my office and he says you know how can I pray for you today and I was like well I got this list of things to do and at some point he puts his hand on my shoulder and begins to pray and he says Lord I ask that you would help pastor Brian to work out of the rest the gospel offers and we got done praying and he walked back down to his office I had no idea what how in the world do I work out of what rest that the what 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 does that mean that I can work out of the rest the gospel offers and as time went on and I began to grow and understand to realize that the most important thing any of us have to do today is to have a right standing with God. That is the most important thing we must have today. There's nothing more important on your to-do list today than to have a right standing with God. And here's the good news. Jesus has done that for you. So the most important thing that you have to do today, it's been done. Find rest in that. And now... Just go ahead and attack that to-do list. Whatever you need to do, whatever you don't get done, don't worry about it because the most important thing is done and it's been done for you by Jesus. So man, man, I encourage you, church. Let's grow. Find a way to every morning remind yourself of the good news of the gospel and ask yourself, today am I working for God's favor or am I working from God? God's favor we've got to be working from it because if we're if we're working for it we will either believe that Christ is not enough and I have to add my own or we will grow weary in trying to earn God's favor and serving him becomes a burden but none of those are that's not the good news of the gospel the good news of the gospel is you have been gifted grace You've been gifted a way to God. You've been gifted a right standing with God. You've been gifted a way to grow in God. And all of that is through your faith in Jesus. And so, daily, believe the good news. Believe it. Believe it. It's true. Remind yourself daily of the good news. Find a way to remind yourself of the good news of the gospel. And then spend time rejoicing. Take the time not to just know it, but thank the Lord for it. And then let's be sure to share. There is no other gospel. You can't work for it. You don't earn it. It's a gift. 
So I'm going to ask in just a moment, we'll, we'll bow our heads and I'm going to give you a little bit of time to think through about the gospel, to, to pray for the gospel, to, or to think through the gospel, to pray to the Lord and, and offer thanks to the gospel, for the, for the gospel. I want to give you a chance to think, who, who needs to hear the gospel? and how can, I, how can I live rejoicing in the gospel day after day? And then Trinity, I'm going to ask, I know, I'm sorry to spring this on you, but I'm going to ask if you would just, let's close by singing the song that we sang last week. Let me tell you about my Jesus. Where we know that he's our God and we can't wait to share him with others. Would you mind taking a moment, bowing your head and closing your eyes? Do you believe that the only way to God is through faith? Or have you been trying to earn your way to God? It's not, it's fake news. You can't earn your way there. Have you taken time recently to just think about, to celebrate God's goodness, his grace, his mercy, the peace that he offers with the Father? The freedom that he offers, not just over the coming future judgment from hell, but from today's deliverance from the God of this world and the thinking that today, that I have to make it all about me. Oh, pick one of those qualities of Jesus and just take 20 seconds and just thank him for it. His grace or his mercy his love or his forgiveness. Just, just pick one and just say, like, I'm overwhelmed. Did you give that to me? I know who I am. I know how I failed. I know my struggles. What a good, good God you are. And then could you just ask, is there, is there anyone, Lord? Is there anyone today that you're putting on my heart that I need to share that with? just need to share the good news. I believe it. I'm celebrating it. I just want to share it. I just want to tell someone about my Jesus. Father, we thank you for who you are, for all that you have done for us in the person of Jesus. And Lord, as we open up this Bible, we realize we're not the first group of people to struggle with this. It's, it goes two, back 2,000 years where believers were struggling that, yes, there's something I can offer. No, there's nothing we can offer you. You love us not because of who we are. You love us because of who you are. What a, what a, what a good God you are. Thank you. Thank you help us to be reminded there is no other good news other than faith in Jesus alone. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for pursuing us. And thank you for never giving up on us. May we do the same for you. In your name we pray.
Amen. I'm going to ask the ushers to come forward and we'll collect our offerings while this last song is being played. And I'll ask you to, at some point to stand, but we'll just stay seated until the plates make their way to the back. And, uh, but this isn't, this isn't a special where she sings to you. This is a special where we all sing 